0: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, April 14th. I'm Terry Aranga with my guest, Mary Romanis. Mary is a recognized authority and speaker on the subject of autism. Her own son, Daniel's recovery from autism, inspired her to take on the role of mentor, writer, and speaker. When her son was diagnosed with autism at the age of 18 months, Mary soon learned how little the medical community understood about this disorder. Driven by a sense of urgency, Mary began long nights of researching the Internet, speaking with other parents, and attending conferences that discussed ways to treat autism. Mary was able to unlock the door that led her son to be declared recovered by the age of four. Along the way, Mary began reaching out to other parents who were just beginning the journey toward recovery for their children. As a mentor, she authored the 10-week GFCF diet calendar, which is in wide use in the autism community on various websites and quoted as a valuable tool in Jenny McCarthy's book, Ladders and Words. Mary has also written other articles on the topics of IEP negotiation, marriage topics, and care for the caregiver. Her articles have appeared in Mothering Magazine, Autism Asperger Digest, Autism Today, and Journeys Magazine, as well as other autism-related websites. Today's topic is After the Diagnosis, Caring for Your Child, Your Marriage, and You. Welcome, Mary.
3: Welcome to you too, Terry. (laughs) I've already prefaced her for a wild ride today.
2: Yeah, well, Mary, yep, you've promised me a steamy show, sure to put the blush in my cheeks. Um, Yes. How and when did you start combining the steamy with the practical, and how can this possibly relate to life with autism, which seems all too practical and oftentimes none too steamy? Well, let's put it this way. How
3: often have we been shown the quote, 80% of the marriages within the autism community fail? Um, In fact, I've even heard higher statistics than that. Yet, I've not really seen that level of marriages completely disintegrating where they actually divorce and go their own separate ways. But I have seen 100% of all marriages go through very difficult and challenging times. Uh, Without a doubt, When you're giving the vows of for better, for worse, you don't anticipate that the for worse is going to include autism and all that that encompasses. And so what happened along the way of reaching out to families um, and giving them just advice initially on diet and biomedical intervention, they, of course, would start to share their own personal journeys and the struggles within their marriages. Now, mind you, at the same time that they're going through many of these things, so am I and I would get together with my like minded friends and we would compare notes about what was going on in our own marriages. I thought for certain I had to be the only person who had the you know the the angst in my marriage. But everybody else had at least as bad, if not worse. So occasionally I would get together with these friends, we would compare notes uh, laugh about how we wanted to divorce our husbands or whatever, and, and then we would go shopping. But now our shopping did not in, consist of going to buy clothing for ourselves. It consisted of buying GFCF food, you know. So that was our version of getting it off our chest. So that by the time I got home, I wasn't quite as angry at my husband. Now, when it came time to, you know, start formulating the ideas of getting my husband on board with listening to the things that I needed to talk to him about, which is, you know, we've got some challenges ahead of us and I need your help and I need your support. Um, If I came full throttle at him with all the latest statistics, which was my inclination to do, he was going to, like about the second sentence, he was going to tune me out because he couldn't absorb it all. He just couldn't get it. So somehow or other, along the lines, I sort of figured out joyfully that, he seemed to absorb things a little bit better after sex. Now, it didn't have to be the exact same day, but maybe a little bit, you know, even maybe the next morning. And I would never come at him, uh, let's say right afterwards. I would, you know, hold back a bit, let, let him appreciate the moment, to let him realize why he married me in the first place, you know. <laughs> and then, um, and then he and I would, you know, I could talk to him in a very calm way about what I needed from him. Now it didn't mean that I had to go do all that in order to get his attention, but I'm telling you what, that was a big catalyst to keep us connected. Um, and I didn't do it necessarily uh, completely with ulterior motives of manipulation, because I had to make sure I was enjoying every element of it too, because I had to reconnect back to him in order to, you know, secure that bond as well. So um, it just became one of those things that, when it was – of a came up in conversation. And I've even written this story um, about one of my neighbors, and if you don't mind, can I just kind of share what that one was, that kind of started this whole notion that we're not alone. This is very normal, what we're all going through. And my neighbor, um, she shared with me that she uh, had had a miserable day. Her husband had fed her son gluten the day before. And so, of course, it set off his behaviors, she dealt with the behaviors, and she decided uh that she was fed up, and she was going to make her husband's night as miserable as her day had been and i really I felt this kind of i don't know um inspiration, so to speak, and I said, you know I would really I would really challenge you on something this is not this is going to be the antithesis of what you want to do. Trust me on this one, my friend. May I make a suggestion? Because, you you know, he's been kind of complaining that he's a little neglected, doesn't get all this stuff. Um, I'm just going to make the suggestion, and I almost hesitated, but I said, can you put the kids to bed early tonight instead and give him a night he won't forget? And he goes, you've got to be kidding me. I go, no, no, really. You need his support. You want him on your side. What do you think is going to work best, nagging or great sex? She goes, well, you got a point, but, boy, that is the last thing I want to do. And I go, yeah, I know, I get it, I get it, but take it if you have to. Just, just, you know, you need him on your side. And I said, you know, and you know that, um, oh, here's, and then she called me the next day to tell me that it worked. And she swore, and he swore that he would help out more with the diet and get more engaged with that. Okay. So, then she, so then she said, uh, well, what do I do about the IEPs? I need his help with that, and I've got medical decisions coming up. I go, well, you know that long week in a way that you're going to have the privilege to get? I said, you go down to Beach Boulevard, and you go into that store. You know the one that you would never go into? That's the one you go into, and you buy some stuff that he, you know you never buy, but you buy it anyways, and you take it with you on your trip. And she's laughing. She's going, oh, my God, you're kidding me. I go, oh, no, no, no. This is all out assault, my friend. (laughs) So I said, you don't talk about the kids Friday night because that's our tendency as mothers. We want to know we're in an intimate situation with our husbands and we want to rattle on and on about the kids. That's very normal. But this 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 is new strategies here. And so I told her, Friday night, you don't talk about the kids. Saturday night, you don't talk about the kids. Make for sure he's all yours. But Sunday morning
2: at breakfast,
3: my friend, you get out your list of things you need from him. <laughs> so. Why
2: might sex and and having some friendliness time together be so hard to get to for families for autism? How do you find a reliable babysitter, uh, take time for an, uh, an evening out together, mm-hmm. uh, be able to afford or take the time to go buy yourself that, Teddy?
3: You know what? It's really it's carving out that time. Um, let me put it to you this way. Uh, when you want to go on a date, does it have to be to the movies? Does it have to be away from your house? Does it have to be anything? Um, one time I said to my husband, "You and I've got a date on the deck, and it includes a bottle of wine um, it, that's the kind of stuff I could do uh, if I could have a um, one of my siblings or my mother or my father come um, then yes, we could go ahead and and take that time away. But it didn't have to be anything huge. It could be something uh, very, very simple, very 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 minimal amount of time. Now, cost is the other issue because for us, we were in high gear for all the medical expenses that were coming down our way. And I have to admit that the cost of going on a date was completely overwhelming to my husband. And it took us several years to get back on track um, that we are actually still a boyfriend and a girlfriend. We're not just the mother of our children um, or our special needs child. We are each other, too, individuals as well as a couple. And, I mean, I really had to – this was a big thump on the head that had to happen. It was it, it hit hard for him to shift gears away from I need to be the financial provider to, oh, I need to also provide for the emotional care and well-being of my my wife and us. And uh, so that was really, um, that was a hard shift, but it was a thump I needed to have happen because I needed to be a girlfriend again. You know, I needed that um, to feel like um, I'm attractive again to him because, you know, obviously when you're dressing in nothing but LL beans um, and sweats, you really don't always feel attractive. I wanted the occasion to get dressed up. I wanted the occasion to go and be sexy again.
2: This is going to be a really long question. What is it about autism that causes the extra struggles as compared to the rest of the population? Is it the lack of mom having time to regroup and thus being uptight? Are we all marrying Aspie men? Is the government letting down our kids and stretching families resources of time and money? No, actually it's something
3: that's not been clarified or defined in the medical or psychological community, but I have found a pattern, uh, within marriages that have this diagnosis that if you define it, they can identify with it and understand what part of the stages that they're going through. I call it the grief acceptance stages. It's very similar to the, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of just grief. Uh, where you go through the death stages. Well, in autism, when it comes down to your child, you are actually mourning the death of a child. Only the death of the child has not occurred. It's just, a de- it's just the childhood that you had pictured. Is the family? Is the family? Um, idea that you've pictured, that's gone, and it's replaced with uh, with a sense of anxiety uh, that is over the top. Mostly because there's not any concrete information for the families who've got a child with autism. They're left on their own to go find uh, to find out what's going to work for them. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And and then of course you're you're dealing with the behaviors of the child all day, the needs of your family. And you've got therapists in your house. You've got IEPs that you're dealing with. I mean, that all of that precludes any other thought of having sex. Any, uh, you know, you just you're not going to do that at all, just because you're just your mind is elsewhere. So when when I identify the stages that families go through, I talk about first number one fear that grips the family the moment that their child is diagnosed. You are in complete and sheer panic. What does this diagnosis mean? So then one or both, um, typically one of the parents goes on the Internet, starts to talk, starts to take the, uh, the super parent drive, and they start to forge ahead trying to figure out what they need to do. The second stage that happens, and by the way, all the six stages I'm about to list here, every one of the parents, uh, both of the couples, will go through these stages They will go through them at different times more than likely, and that is where the angst in marriage
2: happens. Oh, Okay, Mary, let's pick up with this thought when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, EnzoMedico. We'll be right back. Opinions,
4: options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: come
6: Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern day renaissance man Ori Hoffmechler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within. Your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within. Broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival.
2: we're back with Mary Romanis, and before the break, Mary, you were talking about the six stages. You let us know that the first stage is fear and that both parents will go through these stages but at different times.
3: Yes, and in fact, it's because we all go through these stages separately and individually, that's where you start to see the anxieties and the difficulties within the marriage, and that's when each each person will start start to feel isolated and alone. And um, I don't know of anybody who's gone through this who has not gone through these six stages um, and has not felt an element of this. And this is where you start to see uh, the breakdown in the marriage communication. And so, how do you go through these six stages uh, quicker? How do you um, acknowledge them? And how do you allow each other, how do you give each other the space that they need to go through these stages? So, that's what we talked about. And I gave you the first one, which was uh, fear. And um, oftentimes, believe it or not, I actually see women get stuck in this stage and where they can't move forward, they're afraid to move forward, they're afraid to make decisions. Um, and I've heard from fathers when I've mentored the families, and he says, I'm desperate to get my wife to move forward, but I don't know how to encourage her. And so this is a stage where I often tell, when I'm speaking to the fathers in the mentoring process, you treat her like a girlfriend, you um, encourage her, you take over the high you take over the hard stuff if need be don 't be belligerent don 't do any of that stuff at this point because she, they're typically some individuals will tend to feel very vulnerable at this stage. Um, others on the other hand, will keep moving past it because they know that their child 's health and future is up to them and the second stage that everybody goes through is anger, and it 's spewed in a variety of in a variety of um, areas, including anger at the medical community, anger at your spouse, um, anger at the educators, anger at insensitive family and friends. Um, and the toughest one is, I think, it's when you're angry at your child. Um, not that you're, you're, you're angry at the situation that's caused your child to be ill, and it's very difficult, especially when your child's behaviors are over the top and you don't know what to do as a parent, that there's no book out there that's going to help you to understand how to get through those initial stages. You, you are going to go through this. Um, this is a stage, for whatever reason, I see men get stuck in. And during this stage, this is this is a lot of verbal abuse can be occurring, and it, and it gets spread everywhere. Um, and in fact, sometimes as a mentor, I was the person on the other end of that verbal abuse from the spouse because uh, they were angry that I was the messenger trying to give information to their wife when they really weren't quite accepting it yet because they had they were still in the process of also going through denial, which is the third stage, um, and everybody goes through that stage too: denial of the diagnosis, denial of the impact on the family, denial of the steps that need to be taken to help your child, uh, denial of the spouse's concerns, and uh, denial of the panic that the parent now feels. They're just they're overwhelmed and they want to kind of shut it down. Now it took my husband a full year and a half to even say the word "autism." Wow, um so that's some sort of an element of denial in there and um and and yet, I'm forging ahead, and he's still stuck at this at the stage of denial, but I'm still having to move ahead, so you know this is where my anger was coming in where because i was I was felt like I was on a on a tightrope. I had to take care of my kid, but yet I also had to deal with this 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 emotional fallout coming from my husband. And at the same token, I'm dealing with my own. And I am just pissed off at the world. I'm telling you what, I, I, I don't know anybody else who, hasn't, who doesn't feel this way. But yet getting together with the like-minded friends, comparing notes, and you know, they would compare notes about what was going on with, with, uh, with me and think, okay, maybe I don't have it so bad. And, of course, I felt the same way <laughs> when I would listen to their stories. Um, and then what would happen after that? As we do go through an element of bargaining and guilt, in other words, you feel guilty about what's going on with your child. Um, did I cause this? And so this is this gets added on to the rest of our anxiety. There's something I should have done differently. Should I be doing more? Did I do too much? And you go through that that stage, that stage too. Um, and you also measure at this point how much effort as a parent you're going to put forth to help your to, to your child's recovery. Um, Guilt over what the parent believes they should or should not be doing. And and then you also feel guilty for the other, the other children that might be getting neglected. So there's just a lot that goes on during this stage, and you try to figure out what your new role is going to be. And the tough part um, is that really as you're going through these stages is that marriage counselors cannot help you. They're not trained for this. It's basically kind of like a death, only the child has not died. So, um, but you still have to go through these stages, forge them on your own, and figure out your way through that long, dark tunnel. The next stage after that is acceptance. Um, finally, you're at the stage, okay, I've accepted the diagnosis. Um, I've accepted my role in this recovery process. Um, I've accepted the changes in my family and what that means um, and how we handle things. And, um, and I've also accepted the changes with me and my husband at that point. And, 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 and just basically, in general, I'm accepting where we're at, and I'm just trying to forge the next way through this. And then the final stage is resolve to overcome. Um, I'm going to either resolve to help my child recover and or improve, resolve, resolve to carve normal into my day, resolve to form a new bond with my spouse, even though he's probably stuck up in anger and denial, uh, I'm going to resolve to focus on all members of my family, and finally resolve to find the balance again. And it's usually that last one of finding the balance that gets muddled through. You're you're, either, you're swinging the pendulum from extremes, um, and this is what I did, which is what led me to have a physical breakdown um, when I was trying to juggle the needs of my child, needs of my other child, my uh, my daughter, and then also uh, the needs of us as a couple. So. Anyway, so going through all of this um, was very important to do, and every every person couple goes through it. The problem is, is that you have each person at different stages. Now, you, I know that every person out there listening can can identify with. Oh God, I remember that. My spouse was stuck up at fear, anger, or denial or a combination of all three, and I was already at resolve to overcome. And so I'm doing the research on the Internet. I'm attending the conferences. I'm implementing the diet, and I want to come share it with my spouse, and he or she doesn't want to hear it. And I'm, I'm angry because it makes me feel alone. It makes me feel like they don't care. They're not at my level of crisis. And yet on the other end, the spouse that's kind of stuck in those early stages is angry at the other spouse for forcing it on them when they're not, they're not ready to deal with it yet. They're, they're just struggling just to get by, to understand what what this means to them, what it means to their family, and what their new role is. And it's, and it's very tough to, to navigate through this minefield. And then to make it worse, especially, I want to say, from a, from a female perspective, because I talk to so many women, we have a tendency that when we're angry... We're pissed off, man. You're being pushed away. Don't even bother coming to me for the sex, my friend, because I am just pissed at you. And then on the other hand, that's what the guy's kind of saying, look, I need to know that I'm doing something right here. Um, and this is what used to bind us together. And you're pushing me away. I feel isolated. I feel alone. So that's where you start to see the angst that happens between the couples. So I brought up the the anecdote early just to kind of get you an idea that those Making that effort to stay connected does make a difference into the well-being of the marriages. Um, and what about
2: the children? I mean, how much does harmony affect healing and health?
3: Oh yes. You I mean you're talking about um, how, it, how having the, the couples bond together?
2: Well, well, children recovering, seeing a happy mommy and daddy, or seeing a happy mommy for that matter. How well, much does harmony affect? Here's healing? the other thing. It is i don 't know the actual
3: statistics out there, but I have got to picture that the idea of a child recovering is probably a little easier when the families are together right. uh, there's not there's consistency, so the family has got the same home, the same whatever um, there is monetary issues that go into. Staying together versus divorcing, which is probably the reason why some couples stay together, you know, um, so they bear that in mind. There's also the consistency of the food between two houses if you have a divorce
2: situation, and that does happen. So Absolutely, you have, you know, and you're not having sex convincing your ex-husband to keep, to keep um, your son on a GFCF diet at the other house. That's exactly right. Exactly
3: right, so what do you do to avoid getting to that stage? You know, and I'm not believe me, I'm not the person to say if you're in an abusive, neglectful marriage that has got to end, you should end it. Um, you know, I'm sorry for saying it like that, but i but I've seen enough of the bad um hearing from from families um that really shouldn't be together. They probably wouldn't be together if their child didn't have autism anyways, so. But for the families that are kind of on that, you know, where they really do want to stay connected, they really—they're just going through this really crappy time. This this, is—I found these strategies that have helped, and and again, you know that anything I I talk about has been what I've had to do, or what friends have had to do. And when you're—and when you're on on the phone with your like-minded girlfriends, or or even guys that I've talked to, this is the stuff that definitely makes a difference. Um and and by the way I have to I have to illustrate here also uh what I call the uh autism version of foreplay okay <laughs> um hello doing the dishes would really be really great <laughs> you know <if> someone else <laughs> takes over that takes over doing something that I don't really feel like doing but that's really good that's really good foreplay uh I always say when possible go on a date now what does that mean um uh, for as i said for my husband and i it can be sitting out in the deck um, looking up at the stars, holding each other's hands, and not talking about autism. Um, it could be, God, I, how many people disappreciate being alone with their spouse in a car? Okay, oh it, my
2: goodness, yes. Uh, yes, my, uh, my husband now, because I am remarried, uh, we went on our first date about six months or so after we were married, uh, and, uh, just that drive out in the car together. You know, we had finally found a reliable, trustworthy babysitter because we mm-hmm. had to be careful with special needs kids. And just being alone in the car together was like a foreign feeling. And we acted like we were in high school and called oh, so each you guys other found a like, dark spot to go park and everything. High school nicknames and. <laughs> 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 That's true. Well, it's just the idea that all of a sudden you guys are
3: feeling that coupleish thing again. <laughs> It's true. There is something about that that kind of sends out the giddiness in you, <laughs> you know. And I, I could totally appreciate this. And you start to just, you know, just even that idea of a drive to the store sometimes is kind of, you know, yeah.
2: I can totally relate to that. Even, uh, you know, previously uh, in my in my previous marriage, and I had been working. Oh, we'll have to talk about this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Medica, We'll be right back.
4: opinions options answers voice america health and wellness
5: at www.enzymedica.com.
1: Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry
2: before we went to break, Mary and I were talking about the culture shock of going out on a date with your husband um, and I was going to share that after my son's diagnosis and uh working really hard, running a home program and such uh, the first time I even went out to a store, I had culture shock i just the first time I went alone, I just stood there in the aisles and looked around. So, Mary, have you had that kind of experience?
3: Um, Yeah. Actually, it's, it's called carving normal back into your day. You don't realize how far away you were from or are from normal until you start to make these little changes, these subtle changes of reclaiming who you are, both as a couple and as an individual and even as a parent. This is all part of that process. Um, it's unfortunate that really there's nothing out there from the psychological medical community to brace you for these changes that are ahead, uh, but yet you will go through them. I'm sorry to say it like that, that these changes will happen. It's just a matter of how do you navigate it.
2: And, and sometimes you even, as as a mom, you even feel guilty that you even want any time for yourself mm-hmm. when your child um, has so many needs and you really love and want to help your child. You talked about... Oh uh, what is foreplay in autism doing the dishes um a- another mom uh her ex husband said if she ne- he went to work and if she wanted help with um uh the home program that they ran he said would say well, you'd have me doing everything but when men go to work, you know, their lunchtime is their lunchtime or their vacation is their vacation or their break time is their break time and it's not necessarily really there for mom. I mean, there's not the risk that at, at dad's office that the child is going to, to come up and, you know, poop on their desk or something. Yeah, right, and that's very true. But at
3: the same token, what can, I, what can a, um, the non-state home spouse do? to support the parent that is at home. Uh, so I was fortunate that I, that my husband was clued in uh, to be sensitive to my needs, where I would call him, or he would call me every once in a while to say, how's your day going? Mm-hmm. Um, or the, on the rare occasion when I was just having a terrible day, I would call him, and I remember one distinct time where I called him hysterical. I was just beside myself. I was a failure as a mother, And it was all my fault that our son was not doing well and and, and so on and so forth. I said, no, you really need to listen to me. And he's he's at work and he stopped everything that he was doing and listened and validated what I had to say. And do you know that just knowing that, that he was trying to stay connected, trying to be a part of it, even though he might have been stuck at denial, he was putting his emotions and his feelings aside for the moment to just really connect with what was going on with me. And I can't tell you... How far that went.
2: Oh, yeah. Empathy is an aphrodisiac.
3: Oh, it is. Oh, absolutely. Validate, you know, guys, hello, women, hello, that just understanding and acknowledging that the other person is going through all this, and no matter what stage they're in, if you just acknowledge that, um, it can go a whole long way to moving you further through the stages quicker so I like to say it's giving each other breathing room. But, yeah, you have to acknowledge that there is at the um, that the spouse who is at home caring for the child is going to um, be dealing with a lot of physical, emotional stress. Uh, but by the same token, what we also tend to do, um, at least me, is the moment I used to, when my husband would walk in, I would want to just kind of barrage him with, you want to know what happened today, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And I had to learn to not do that because that wasn't helpful to my husband because it was like, okay, look, I can't absorb all that right now. So I had to back off, you know what, have a glass of wine, whatever it took, calm moments start to bring out, you know, look, I need I've got these going on, I've done some research, we had a good day, bad day, whatever it was, anything that was pertinent to share without overwhelming him. But on the other hand, my husband also had a really bad habit at 10.30 at night. He wanted to talk to me about the budget. <laughs> you know, not a really good aphrodisiac to talk about the budget at 10.30 at night. If you think you're going to be getting something after that, forget it.
2: <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. So, <laughs> There's, and, and it's very hurtful to, you know, if um, for the parent who's, Researching uh, biomedical interventions, bringing the child forward that way, which also helps behaviors and and other things. Um, it's really hurtful for that parent to be told that they're, you know, running up the credit card bills or ruining mm-hmm. the family financially, and that's right. where, you know, that's where I think that the government and the powers that be really need to step in and and relieve the stress on families by. You know, researching efficacious treatments that heal the kids more efficiently and and not stretching families' budgets so much but for insurance. I, I completely and, concur with that,
3: but but here's the thing: if I had to rely upon the government to start taking that stress away, it would never happen because I'm sorry to say this, but I think that they were part and parcel to this whole problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of of the idea like I am with everything else in autism, that it isn't going to be up to the government or the medical community to help other families. It's going to be up to the families that have paved the way to bring along the next generation of families. So, um, you know, I'm talking from completely, from a non-medical, non-psychological perspective. I'm, co- I'm talking from the real-world perspective about the stages that, that couples do go through um and that families go through and what do you do to get past this there is nothing written that tells you that you as a woman need to probably let down your guard go seduce your husband once in a while because it goes complete it's the antithesis of everything we were ever raised with you know from a feminist perspective um it's it doesn't make sense how absurd is that that i should want to go do that shouldn't he just kind of like read my mind and understand what his role is supposed to be uh, and that 's really not the case anymore. we do need to redefine that, and sometimes it is up to 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 the wife to do that sometimes it 's up to the husband to do that depending upon their own individual roles and the stages that they 're at
2: okay, so and, if sorry? if you have a situation that 's really tense um mm-hmm. the, the mom wants to be a a good mom and a good wife um but she's she 's doing so much the the house um Looks like uh, right. London after the Blitz, um, and th- the money is just so incredibly stretched. So there's right. this tense situation, and the husband says, I-, "I want out of this." I mean, what do mm-hmm. you do in a situation like that when the mom, you know, is trying so hard, wants to try right. so hard, but but things beyond the family's control are just making them seem to spiral downward.
3: But then, the, but then, the, you're saying then that the spouse comes up and says, "I want a divorce." What, uh, yeah. Okay, you say goodbye. I'm sorry, but you do. You say goodbye. Your boundaries are, I'm not going to be treated that way. Um, so and they're not willing to, I I don't need to grovel to have somebody want to be with me. They have to make an equal concession to, to uh, wanting to work through these aspects of the marriage because this is not, um, this is about their child too.
2: What if okay? the child's a handful? How can one mm-hmm. spouse handle that alone?
3: Um, well, at that point, you know, then obviously you you do have to continue to. Uh, I could go. There's a whole bunch of things that we could talk about at this stage. Talking about how do you get the resources for respite? How do you get the resources to help you cope through all this? Um, you know, do you consider medications when you're on when you're feeling this this sense of anxiety and overwhelmness? There's a lot to, that you could put into this this caveat right now, um, and I would just basically have to say, do not feel guilty. For doing whatever you have to do to get you through these moments, if it's medication, you do it. If it's seeking out help financially from others, you do it. Whatever it takes to get you through these tough times is what you do, either as a couple or as um, or as an individual. And, um, I, and for me, I'm going to tell you what mine was. Um, I was physically mentally emotionally spiritually everything over the edge and um i mean i was just done i ended up in the hospital twice in one year from all the expectations i put on myself my body my everything and yeah my kids was doing great but i was falling apart i mean physically and all ways you want to know what i did to help cope me get me through those times i set up my boundaries um, I said to my husband, no, I'm sorry, 1030 budget conversations are done. I'm not doing those anymore. Yep, I'm off the Internet. I'm not staying on until 1 o'clock in the morning anymore. And guess what? I'm hiring a housekeeper. And, and then I called up a girlfriend, and I'm spending the money on going out with my friends. And, you know, the things that I had denied myself because I didn't think, A, we could afford it. Um, we probably still couldn't, but I had to do it. I also called up uh, someone I knew, and I asked for massage therapy because um, I, everything in my body was completely screaming stress. I did what I could, and I said to my husband, I don't care if I have to put everything on a credit card. I, By the way, I don't recommend that to everybody, but this was me. This was what I had to do to get me through those really rough moments. And you come out of it, and, you, and you're, yeah, you're wiser for it, but let me tell you what happens when you go through these stages, though. Your body and your mind and everything about you will start to tell you where your boundaries are. Your boundaries were way back there, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your physical, mental, emotional state. It will start to tell you what you can no longer do, what you will no longer go back to. And um, and it will dictate how your marriage and how everything else does going forward. So hopefully you have a supportive spouse who acknowledges that um, I can't be that person anymore. I, I cannot fulfill these expectations to this level uh, without going crazy. And um, there's ther- certain things in our marriage that I can't put up with
2: anymore. It's really important for a mom to listen to her body. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and,
3: but it's also, and also, and also I
2: have to not just make this a, a mom thing. This is a dad thing too.
6: So,
3: right. um, because I'm I hear from the dads, even though they're not as forthcoming with all the issues going on in marriages, you still pick up that they've got feelings, that they've got issues that they're dealing with, don't know how to communicate, want to be helpful to their spouses, but um, but they're being pushed away. They and don't know what their new role is supposed to be.
2: And metabolic problems that the kids have um, are also shared by parents. Oh, absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I have
3: to admit, sometimes I'm talking to certain individuals, and I'm saying, oh boy, I see the ADHD in this one, you know, and, and no offense to anybody, I get it. I totally get it. And I'm going to tell you, there's probably people out there looking at me
2: saying, Oh, okay, a little ADHD in her. But that's, <laughs> you know? not, that's not necessarily genetic. That's like metabolic. So if GFCF is good for the child, then GFCF is probably good for mom and dad. And mom has, this mom has been put on GFCF long right.
3: before it had a name. This was a long time ago. I was actually put on it, and I think half my family members should have been on it uh, for a variety of reasons due to autoimmune disorders and such like that. And, yeah, I was put on it when I was in my 20s and didn't know the name of it. All I knew was that I was very ill, and the doctor told me, if you don't you know, stop all this kind of food, you will probably face autoimmune disorders when you get older.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
3: was enough for me. So I'm not gluten casein free today, but I was enough and then for a long period of time to uh for my body to get back into shape. But you go through stages and sometimes you have to be reminded that your body still needs to be um taken care of.
2: Right, and then the parents are spending so much money on what the child needs mm-hmm. to, to support their metabolism like if Oh, mm-hmm. talk more about this when we come back.
4: Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Mary Romanis, and before the break, I was talking about how. Parents and children um, in the ASD community often share uh, metabolic issues, and while the parents need to take care of themselves and and take supplements that support their metabolism and help them detoxify and such, um, Mary, how can they do that while they feel like their money needs to go to their children's uh, interventions?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of cliches attached with that, um, which is, you know, if you're not going to take care, if you expect your child's health to be to be well, the parents got to take care of themselves in order to keep up the long journey that's ahead. Now, again, I'm talking from the perspective of I didn't do that because I didn't care what happened to me. I only cared what happened to my kid. And so I actually even stopped breathing correctly um, enough to pass out in an emergency room. But that's how high geared I was towards um, shutting down my body, shutting down whatever concerns might have been going on and focusing solely on him. Um, it didn't, my son got well, now I have to ask the question, would he have gotten well in, if I didn't do that? I think he would have, and I, didn't, I don't think I needed to put myself through that angst. Now, I also talked to other families and said, you know what, you do need to take care of yourself for a lot of reasons. You do need to be healthy. Here's the other caveat. Imagine if your health goes, you know, goes south, you've got to now spend money on your health. As host, yeah. if you would just taken the money to spend time on your, whether it be uh, eating correctly, taking supplements, how much cheaper would that be than, than a hospital visit?
2: Yeah, It was four o'clock yesterday, and I finally got to take a vitamin C and brush my teeth, you know. Oh, shameful. <laughs> yeah. I had to, to do, do the high house protein, protein drinks <laughs> uh,
3: because I was that screwed up. I was one of those parents that I'm sure a few people can identify, was eating over the sink whatever the kids left behind from their lunch. That was my meal, and uh, that's how I ate. Or I, oh, uh, especially living here in New England, if I had lived here at the time, I probably would have just uh, completely um, blown through all the Dunkin' Donuts around here, you know. But that's how yeah. we do it. We're a drive-through eaters because you know.
2: Yeah,
3: and I watched a. I watched a friend. I'm, if she's listening to this, she'll understand. She can tell you that she put on an enormous amount of weight. And it was from all the drive throughs all the stress, everything else that she was doing to help her twins who were going through major, major treatments and therapies. And finally she looked at herself one day and says, I'm not healthy. And she took the time and she got that weight off. And uh, she looks fantastic, but she finally understood that she was just as important as every other member in the family.
2: It's the, it's the airplane thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, You're you're constantly on the go and you're in and out. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, when they say to put on your own oxygen mask oh, first. Oh,
3: yes, exactly, that part. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. You do have to take care of yourself first in order to be able to take care of the rest of the family members. But sometimes it really takes a concerted effort from yourself to say, guess what, um, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, my boundaries are way back there. I also put in, uh, you know, in my talks with folks, it says don't be a martyr. You know what, ask for help. Mm-hmm. Ask, ask it from your spouse, ask it from your friends, your neighbors, your family, whoever it takes, ask them for help. Uh, because it's when you don't ask, people don't know that you necessarily need them. They can't read your mind. And sometimes we think as parents that that's what our role is. No one understands me. Um, they don't get what I have to do, and they can't do it as well. Whatever, whatever um, excuse we want to have for not asking for
2: help, uh, that's what we attach to it, and that's what we own. How do you
3: get past that?
2: Well, Mary, before we um, have some sort of steamy an- um, anecdote that uh, you promised me, yes. the first three things you would advise uh, parents out there to do upon getting a diagnosis: get information,
3: seek help and support, and develop a game plan. Okay. And I have this, by the way, if you don't mind me making a shameless plug, I have I have a book written. Okay. I'm in diligent uh, I'm in diligent uh, seeking efforts for an agent and publisher. But it's about the stuff, a lot of it's about the stuff that we talked about, but it's more. It's about the things that parents are not told when they begin their journey. Um, the book is called Autism is Treatable, Empowering Parents to Make Decisions that Benefit Their Child with Autism. Very good. Without Losing the Sanity of the Parent is very the other. Good. It's a very long title, but books do that. It's just that it talks about the real-world stuff that you're, that parents go through how to get past it, it has a checklist at the end of every chapter because that's what I liked. Give me a checklist of what I can do today. Um, if I can't do number three, I can skip down to number four. That's kind of how I did things and how I offered it to the next family um, as to what they need to do. But, yes, developing a game plan um, on how your roles will now be defined is very helpful.
2: Okay. So now, you
3: wanted the steamy anecdote. Right. Wait, do you have a website for this? Oh, yes, it's Mary Um M-A-R-Y-R-O-M-A-N, as in Nancy, I-E-C, dot com. Okay. And you see me and my, my family, and you see Daniel, my triumphant Daniels on the front part. That was him a couple years ago at a Little League game.
2: Okay, okay and now the part to, that's sure to put a blush on my cheeks. Oh, I don't know how much of a blush. I'm sorry, Terry, but you, just, you don't seem overly
3: jaded by any of this. <laughs> Anyways, uh, then, no, I ha- I shared the anecdotes that I, uh, I was, when I was, got up at a Boston Dan conference as part of a parent panel, one woman stood up and she says, how do I save my marriage? And, of course, I started to get up at the microphone and uh, I shared anecdote after anecdote of families, uh, mainly, you know, putting it, putting the priorities back into the connection with the couple first. And um, I had the audience cheering guys with the V's over their over their head, yeah, and the women laughing. And I had the women coming up to me afterwards going, oh, my God, you're so right. That's exactly what works. I go, well, the point is, is that you got to get something out of it. And then the woman, one woman said to me, she goes, honey, I always get something out of it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I actually had one mom. I shared this story with her. She, that was the last thing on her mind. But she needed her husband to join her at a DAN conference. And I said, tell him that you're wearing the red number. And she goes, no, he prefers black. I go, well, okay, tell him that you're wearing the black number. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And so she called me to say that, you know, she her husband got a lot out of it, you know, both in the hotel room and out of the hotel room. He was like more attentive at these uh at the conference. And afterwards he was joining her at every IEP. Uh, it's like he something like the DM had burst and all of a sudden he could now finally connect with what the wife needed. Um, you know, so I had that and I've had you know, I've even had women who've emailed me to say, well, I've got to go take a shower. I've got to get my husband on board with something, you know. Oh, <laughs> good. So, you know, whatever works. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, I've had that. And I've had, I actually had one woman come up to me after that Dan conference. She was at Autism One. And she said, I have to let you know that that advice you gave worked. You need to write an article about that. And so I did. I wrote an article about it. And uh, talked about this and talked about the the stages that you go through, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and um, so it's been nice. I've I've heard from, I like it when I hear from folks like I've heard from dads and husbands who say, "I wish I had known my wife was going through all that." Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the main thing is is that you do whatever it takes to make it interesting um, to get you through these really rough times. Go easy on yourself. You know, if it's just not going to happen, it's just not going to happen. You know, i have heard from families that says it just can't happen right now. I'm exhausted. We don't even sleep in the same room right now because one of our kids is a runner.
2: Uh huh.
3: You know, and and that's understandable. So, but what do you do? do you, you, what do you do to carve that time out to start to forge, make that a priority? Um, you you got to sit down and talk sometime.
2: Well, you know, um, things can really improve. Um, in my case, uh, in my Former marriage, you know i just I thought yeah that's it, that's it for me you know no no more romance, et cetera et cetera, but my goodness, you know uh you can change your life for the better and um my marriage now and uh and uh Ed is such a wonderful father and the best gift I could have given my son, okay. and things can change for the better
3: yes, absolutely. And, um, and I do have a section in, in my book about the divorce situation where, you know, if you are in a divorce, what does that mean? Um, how do you then, you know, reestablish communications for the good of the child? So you do still have to talk about that and what, the, what that's defined as being. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. There is there's no reason why anybody should ever put their life on hold.
2: And it's really wonderful for the child to see a, a happy mommy and daddy together. Oh, Oh, my gosh,
3: yes. I think mine actually get disgusted because I'm always grabbing my husband and giving him kisses and things like that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so I probably embarrass
2: them. <laughs> well, Mary, thank you for a stimulating and helpful show. I Mary, hope so. Mary will be speaking at the Autism One 2009 conference in Chicago on Sunday, May 24th. For more information, please visit www.autismone.org. Oh, and I- bring me your anecdotes. I
3: love to hear these great stories.
2: Okay. My guests next week from the Homeopathy Center of Houston, Cindy Griffin and Linda Lanham, will be here with the topic, Recovering from Autism with Sequential Homeopathy. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, EnzaMedica, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.